Hello and welcome to another episode of the China Path podcast. James Scullin here from the Australia China Business Council. Now, in Australia, we often discuss how well we know China, our China literacy, as well as our understanding of Chinese business practices and Chinese culture in general. But how well does China know Australia? On this episode, we look at FASIC, the Foundation for Australian Studies in China. FASIC is an independent, non-profit foundation established in Australia to support Australian studies centres located at universities across China. I recently spoke with the current BHP chair of Australian Studies, located at Peking University in Beijing, Pu Kongqi, and Assistant Professor Dan Hu from Beijing Foreign Studies University. We look at what sort of Chinese student chooses Australian Studies, what they learn in the course, and Chinese awareness of Australia more broadly. I hope you enjoy our discussion. I am here in the beautiful campus of Beijing University with BHP Chair Pu Kongqi、um, and Dan Hu.、Um, thanks a lot for dropping by to the podcast, both of you today.、Um, Pu Kong, can I just first ask how how old is Peking University?、Mm. Peking University celebrated its hundred and twentieth anniversary last year. Okay, a very big、uh, event with a one hundred. Of the world's top universities, our presidents invited,、yep. and quite a few vice chancellors from Australia came for that、uh, function.、Mm. And of course, it's the oldest、uh, university in China.、Mm. Okay.、Um, and Pu Kong, what what are you doing here at Beijing University? I took up the、uh, BHP chair of Australian Studies about a month ago,、uh, joining the University of.、Um, Joining Peking University from the University of Melbourne, and the chair is、uh, the, the the third uh, uh, chair.、Uh, the BHP chair was、uh, founded in around 2012.、Uh, so far, there have been two academics appointed to, to, to the chair.、Mm. The first one was、uh, Professor David Walker, a very noted historian from Deakin University. And the second chair, my predecessor, was、uh, Professor Greg McCarthy, a political scientist from the University of Adelaide, who later on joined the University of Western Australia.、Mm, okay, and all those chairs come through the FASIC program. The、uh, chairs are being looked after by FASIC. Yes. Okay.、Mm. Great.、Um, and Diane, what about you? You're、uh, teaching down the road. My positions are:、uh, I'm the, now the deputy director of China's largest Australian studies centre in Beijing Foreign Studies University, and also I'm the deputy general secretary of the Chinese Association for Australian Studies.、Mm. So、uh, through the years, from the first day, we have engaged with FASIC in several ways. For example, by proposing research projects to get their grants, and also uh, attend uh, almost all the、uh, Australian Studies conferences held by FASIC in China. Okay. Now, for those who aren't aware, what what is FASIC?、Uh, FASIC is the、uh, Foundation on Australian Studies in China. 
And actually, it supports the Australian Study Centres located across China. And now we proudly have 38 mm. such centres in China. Mm. And I can tell you that it's more than half of the Australian Study Centres around the world. Wow. Because when ANU launched its Australian Studies Institute a year ago, it had counted the Australian Study Centres and found a little bit over 70 okay. centres. So we're more than half of that. And yeah, so um, they support the uh, Australian Study Centres and also uh, a very important initiative is uh, why we have a key here, fortunately, is that they provide funding and support like this to the BHP Billiton Chair of Australian Studies at PKU, this university. Okay. Now, at, at Beijing Foreign Studies University, what, what what's your main role? Are you, are you conducting research or are you teaching classes or is it a, a little bit of both? Yeah, um, we unfortunately now in today's Chinese universities, you have to do both, okay. even three things, including administrative work. Okay. Yeah, so I teach both BA and MA programs and also do research in Australian studies. Okay, and, and what are some of the subjects you're teaching at the moment? Uh, mostly economics or okay. economic related things, but my research would be uh, more um, expansive, I would say. Um, for my PhD, I uh, examined uh, the mergers and acquisitions for investment by Chinese companies in Australia mm. and also the controversies surrounding them. And um, because I have education background in both economics, uh, international relations and international economic law, um, more recently I have adopted a more multidisciplinary approach to some of the more current issues in the bilateral relations. Uh, for example, something that I'm... Uh, doing recently is Australia's booming wine trade, mm. wine export to China, and the factoring not just uh, about the chafta, because most people are talking about chafta, mm. but I'm talking about the factoring of immigration policy, you know, Chinese immigrants behind that. And also, uh, for example, the recent changes in Australia's media laws and also the media landscape and the implication for Australia's public perception of China, things mm. like this. But I do, I mean, in addition to such boring stuff, I do lighter things too, like... Oh, um, I, would, I, I wouldn't say that's boring <laughs> at all. I'd say that's very dynamic. <laughs> I think they're kind of boring, so that's why I supplement them with uh, more you know, lively things like uh, wine export and also the marketing decisions by Australian businesses in China, like okay. Penfold and Julique and things like that. So, so if you're if you're teaching and and, and discussing um, Australia Chinese investment issues, do you find maybe a topic such as Huawei comes up in class a lot, and students want to want to know more about you know why Huawei's been unable to um, access the the Australian grid? Right. Um but I think somehow it's more important to look at how we get here because Huawei is kind of a midway there. I mean, mm. Huawei is not the first thing that happened. And all this thing can be dated back to 2006 and seven when Chinese investment in Australia started to be controversial. Mm. So uh, in three-hour courses, which cover virtually every aspect of Australia, politics, economy, media, foreign policy, uh, culture and society, language and culture and everything. We're trying to give the student, sorry, most importantly, history. Mm. <laughs> We're trying to give the students a historical framework to help them better understand Australia today. Mm. Okay, great. Well, Pukong, what about you? What are, your, um, what are you currently teaching at the moment? I teach two subjects, an undergraduate subject, which is a broad 
trying to introduce to undergraduates uh, Australian society, history, economy, politics, and a postgraduate subject, mostly master level students, which is a little bit more focused. I uh, try to introduce them to Australia through the perspective of uh, mobility, in particular migration and the consequences of migration, the uh, development of uh, Australia as a multicultural society. Mm. So the, the approaches are somewhat different. The uh, undergraduate class is a bigger class. Students come from, most of them from the School of International Studies, but I also get some students from Beijing's um, business school, mm. uh, a number of students who are on various uh, exchange programs. So it's been quite quite a diverse uh, uh, group of um, students. Yeah, um, and in that bachelor subject, how would, how would you rate the students' uh, initial awareness of Australia? Quite mixed. Okay. Uh, some students have been paying attention to Australia for some time. Others are, are really new to, to the uh, territory. Okay. And uh, one thing I found is that uh, the Peking University is not under the pressure that uh, we are used to in Australian universities, meaning the numbers are not important. So students are tend to be students who really are quite focused mm. with a, a very good academic background. So when I taught in, in uh, Melbourne, for example, the diversity of uh, academic ability, the diversity of interest among students was uh, much greater. Mm. So in general, very motivated, very talented young young students of um, you know, various nationality mm. backgrounds. And, and do you find that the students take Australian studies as part of um, a general learning towards Western countries where maybe they'll also study US studies or mm. English studies? Yes. Or do you find students maybe want to specialise in Australia yes. and have mm. some career projection mm. leading towards Australia? Mm. Various reasons. One is uh, one thing to, to understand a country that um, I think is quite familiar to a lot of them. Mm. Uh, many young Chinese in cities like, Mel like, like you know, Beijing and Shanghai would have our friends or would know someone who either migrated to Australia or had studied in Australia. So the awareness, I think, is a, is a reason. Mm. The other one is a quite interesting. Uh, my subjects are conducted in English. Mm. And some students, I think, find the uh, challenge or the attraction of uh, listening to you know, a teacher in English uh, of interest to them. Today I spoke to a student who told me that uh, he has just been accepted by the University of Chicago, uh, an undergraduate student. He told me that uh, the, having heard about Australia, he felt it's a, a good introduction to a country that is going to be bigger, you know, far more complex. So different motivations for, for choosing the subjects. Do students learn about Indigenous Australia? Mm. Yes, the undergraduate subject in particular. There's a, a great deal of interest Mm. On, on, on the experience of our Australia's indigenous communities. They have also, I think, been exposed to, to various uh, events. I think it was uh, last year when Australia organised for a touring exhibition of, uh, I think the exhibition was referred to as the Masters, meaning, meaning outstanding works of 
Aboriginal painters. Okay, great. And it tours cities like you know Beijing, Shanghai. Under the uh, the good work of uh, Dine and and the Beijing University of Foreign Studies, in recent years there has also been an active promotion of our writers of indigenous backgrounds. Mm, okay. And they, they, one in particular, you know, the, the winner of the Miser Franklin Award, uh, Alexis Wright, is, I believe, a visiting professor at uh, the Beijing University of Foreign Studies. Okay. Um, and are students also interested towards the Chinese history of Australia? And, and, and is, is, is that something you cover in your classes, for example, the, mm. the, the Chinese engagement back in the um, days of the gold rush? I do, I do. The greater interest is actually on contemporary Chinese communities. Mm, okay. But uh, they are very, very much aware of the earlier emigration history of China, how the Chinese diaspora uh, estimated to be about 50 million worldwide that uh, there's a Chinese saying, wherever you find, you know, uh, ocean water, you will find some Chinese. Okay. <laughs> so that, that, that history, I think, is a very much part of their consciousness. And, and do you find that the students are quite news savvy as the Australia-China relationship mm. goes through various highs and lows? Do you find the news inputs uh, interaction from the students in your classes quite a lot, where students might hear about something and they want to gauge your opinion on it? It varies. varies on the countries where they come from. I have uh, in my undergraduate class, I think, three students from Singapore, the National University of Singapore and Nanyang Technological University. They seem to be very much uh, aware of... Uh, of uh, the, the you know, latest uh, international affairs. And I suspect it's partly because uh, they follow their respective uh, national media. Mm. And some national media are more, more attracted to reporting events affecting China, whereas uh, other students, I have a few Eastern European students in my undergraduate class, I think they are less informed mm. about uh, events are taking place. What about Australian media? Is, is, is that something that the students are recommended to follow, to, to keep engaged with um, Australian studies over here? Yes and no, because um, the ABC, for example, is not uh, accessible to, to students uh, right. from China okay. to the extent that uh, students have a uh, means of uh, overcoming the uh, barrier. I think, I think they do follow. But uh, generally speaking, Australia doesn't feature that that prominently in their in their daily you know news okay. reading. Diane, what about what about you? How would you um how would you rate the students' current evaluation of the Australia-China relationship? Do you see that this is something that changes from student to student, or, or changes from time to time depending on what's happening in the news? Is this something that you discuss quite a lot in your classes too? How students see Australia? Yeah, or how students maybe rate the. The, the current standing of the Australia-China relationship, whatever it may be going through at mm. any certain time. Right. Um, I would say um, perhaps the greatest, the greatest difference between my students and, and key students is that my students are all Chinese. Mm. So um, they are Chinese native speakers. And then, uh, of course, we've had access to Australian media, mm. the Sydney Morning Herald and the Australian The Age, and also Australian Financial Review. Yep. So uh, they also read the Chinese media. Okay. So they do get access to, to both coverage, so that's the funny part about it. Uh, but everyone is free to come up with his or her own comment on mm. that. And what we do as teachers is just we, uh, through the course, uh, provide them with the history 
and also a comprehensive examination of the society as a whole to help them better understand that. Mm, okay. And and how are they um, assessing your courses? Is it is it a, an examination or do they choose a topic that they want to write a paper on? They do a lot of presentations. Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We do go from topic to topic and then they're asked to uh, choose a smaller topic or research question and prepare a presentation and then uh, at the end of it it's always an essay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and how do you see your students using their Australian studies in their future career path? Do they have aspirations to, to move to Australia or to conduct further study in Australia? We have had some students who actually go to Australia to pursue a PhD. Mm. And we've had some Australian studies students who move on to continue Australian studies and work in Australian embassy, for example, even right. oh. yeah, facilitate China-Australia collaboration in movie making, mm. for example, a lot of cases like that. Oh, wow. But even though for those uh, who, you know, don't go to so... Uh, such Australia-related, explicitly related um, areas or workplaces, I think they always hold a special attachment to Australia. Mm. And I think um, Australia is like a lens and also it's like a case study for them to better understand the world today. Mm. FASIC is an integral part of the Australia-China Council, um, which just last week announced that it would be reformed as the National Foundation for Australia-China Relations. Um, Pukong, how do you see this, this changing the way um, FASIC interacts with Australia-China education over here in China? Mm. FASIC, uh, ever since its establishment in 2011, 2012-2012, uh, has played a very important part in promoting Australian studies in China. And he has done it through uh, the BHP Chair of Australian Studies. Every year, it offers a number of uh, internships for students, mostly from Australia. Mm. And, uh, and until this year, every year, there was a major Australian Studies conference. So the uh, the impact has been, I think, quite quite significant mm. you know, on on a range of our areas, engaging with our young students, uh, working with our established academics, including the thirty or so or thirty seven, thirty eight uh, centers of Australian studies, mm. and then through the chair of Australian studies, uh, working with uh, you know the Peking University. The, uh, the work, I think, has always been a bit challenging, like any other kind of endeavour, you know, the level of funding. Mm. So when the news of um, the government uh, wanting to transform this area of work into a national foundation for Australia-China relations, I, I welcome that. Mm. And in particular, the Prime Minister's uh, announcement that uh, some 40 million Australian dollars will be put behind it my my reading of it of it is that although the funding is of a much higher level mm. the work is sounding like much wider as well mm. so in addition to uh, academic exchanges i think the foundation will be looking at uh, community affairs and to the extent that you know business and other sectors might uh, you know continue to contribute to such activities. There may be a higher expectation of our business mm. uh, contribution. Yeah, well, I think there's that they've identified agribusiness and and, and health and aged care mm. as, as as sectors that mm. will also receive funding. Okay, so you've both had experience teaching at universities mm. in here in China and in Australia. 
Um, what would you say the biggest difference is as, a, as an mm. academic being, being on campus yes. here in China? I have only been here just over a month, and I think right from day one, the most uh, notable you know, difference has been uh, whereas uh, in Australian universities, the pressure is to have as many students as possible mm. because uh, universities rely on student incomes. Here, the Chinese uh, approach to higher education, I think, is much more you know, more sensible mm. in that uh, the nation values higher education and in, um, you know, more important universities, better established universities, they have the luxury of, uh, you know, quality over quantity. Yeah. That, that I see as the biggest difference. Um, and so does that mean that, that class sizes are capped or, or there's, there's, there's limitations on how many students can enter a course? Does it make it a little more exclusive? I, I suspect there is some capping process going on in that uh, the entrance requirements would be uh, quite high mm. and uh, hence uh, uh, you get you know some very talented students. Mm. Okay. Um, Diane, what about you? What would you see as the big difference between being on campus here in China and, and um, teaching in Australia? Um, unfortunately, I've never taught at universities oh, in Australia, okay. though I... I, I do get my PhD there, and I'm also I'm, I've been involved in a lot of uh, seminar lecture and also uh, research collaboration with Australian universities. And um, another part of it is that I have done some field work in some Australian uh, kindergartens and also primary schools and also secondary schools. Oh, okay. So from my observation, I would say um, it's it's not that that different at a Chinese university, I mean, between a Chinese university and an Australian one, really. I mean, um, if there is, it really started from the kindergarten mm. rather than just erupted at the higher level. And I would say many of the differences, if not all, really can be traced back to the pedagogical approaches adopted mm. by the two cultures or two countries. Mm. And Unfortunately, in China, this can be dated back to hundreds of years ago. And one example is that uh, the Chinese, even today, are still very much accustomed to road learning. Right. And even at primary school now, my daughter, and sh she will be asked to recite a lot of poems even without knowing <laughs> what they mean. So road learning is an important part of Chinese education. I mean, yeah. we, we love that approach. And also um, throughout their uh, kindergarten and all the way to primary school and secondary school, they are not encouraged to think that much and also to argue. We don't have the culture for, you know, giving lectures, doing presentations and arguing with each other. Yeah. So this actually can explain a lot of the things between Chinese and Australian classrooms. Mm. And, and and do you think there's a push to, to change that, that learning culture or do you think that, you know, China is... is quite values rote learning and, and, and sees a lot of benefit in the outcomes that it produces? Or is there at least a discussion about that in education circles mm -hmm. here in China? Yeah, of course. This has been one of the most important subjects lately. And uh, critical thinking, for example, uh, the vice president of our university and also the president of the National Association for Australian Studies mm. is the foremost scholar on critical thinking. Mm. And uh, he has come up with this whole set of books for English majors to, you know, to kind of integrate critical thinking as a pedagogical approach to English learning. Mm. And I think this is this is really important. I mean, it's, it's just that as the Chinese students get more cosmopolitan and become more important players uh, in the world, uh, it's important for them to understand what others are doing mm. and to 
get used to that way as well. Mm. So this is definitely that. But um, as what Keith said just now, I mean, sometimes it's really important to understand China in the context of its huge population and lack of resources. Mm. Virtually everything or everywhere is crowded. It's more crowded here. We live in Beijing. We have over 30 million people here, and mm. that's larger than the whole population of Australia. Mm. So sometimes we have to understand it from that approach. Mm. Excellent. Okay, well, thank you both. It's definitely like a, fa a fascinating time to be over in China as China becomes more engaged with the world and Chinese students become more cosmopolitan. And it's fantastic to know that FASIC is so active with so many centres um, around the country, uh, teaching and informing students about Australia. So thank you very much, both of you. Thanks to Pukong and Diane for being on the podcast. And if you want to learn more about the FASIC program, you can find links on this episode's show notes at acbc.com.au forward slash podcasts, where you can also find all our previous episodes. Please feel free to pass on the podcast to a friend, colleague or client who has an interest in doing business with China and the constantly evolving Australia-China relationship. Thanks once again to the Australia-China Council for their support of the podcast. That's it for this episode, and until next time, zai jian. <laughs>